Welcome to the ISA's Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. We provide full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners to keep you up to date with new developments in arboriculture. Today's talk is by Dr. Justin Morganroth, who is a lecturer at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand. He received his PhD from the New Zealand School of Forestry in Christchurch and his master's degree from the Faculty of Forestry at the University of Toronto in Canada. He is also an independent urban forestry consultant. This podcast features his talk titled Impacts of Porous Pavement on Soil Environment and Street Tree Growth. This talk was originally presented at the ISA International Conference in Parramatta, Australia in July 2011. I'll begin with maybe a brief reintroduction. Um, I could start behind the curtain and come out, Justin Morganroth, yeah! Um, anyhow, yeah, uh, I'm originally Canadian from Toronto um, area, anyhow. I moved to Christchurch, New Zealand about five years ago to do my PhD. Um, I've stayed on there in a lecturing capacity. Uh, and what I'll be speaking to you about today is the sort of culmination of my, uh, of my PhD thesis, about four years research looking into uh, whether or not porous pavements um, make any difference to, uh, to, to street tree growth. I'll begin a little bit more generally and just speak about impervious urban surfaces to begin with. Um, typically, as a city grows, as a city evolves, um, you get this shift from, from uh, uh, green to gray surfaces, from uh, porous natural surfaces to impervious surfaces. And here you just sort of see a, a, an aerial image uh, transect from the, the peri-urban area uh, of Christchurch where you have lots of um, grass, uh, lots of trees, lots of porous surfaces. Um, sort of the central image shows uh, a residential sort of neighborhood um, where you begin to see uh, more impervious surfaces creeping in, more rooftops, more pavements. And then the, uh, the, the, the image at sort of bottom right shows uh, uh, the city center, or what used to be the city center anyhow. Um, with loads of impervious surface coverage, and, and in fact, very little porous uh, coverage. There's very little native soil left. There's very little, uh, um, uh, well, pretty much anything that's not buildings or pavements. So that's, that's sort of your natural progression uh, um, uh, from porous to impervious as a city grows. The trouble with, um, or at least the perceived trouble with impervious urban surfaces is that uh, they, they disrupt the hydrological cycle so that you get sort of extreme hydrologic events, uh, localized flooding, uh, drought in some cases, uh, and impervious surfaces are, are, are believed to li limit evaporation, limit the, uh, the amount of rainfall that can infiltrate into the soil uh, beneath them. 
Uh, impervious urban surfaces are often associated with the urban heat island effect. I suppose that's because they absorb so much radiation during the day and then remit it as heat um, uh, in the evening. So, you know, impervious surfaces are often associated with the urban heat island effect. And uh, something that you'll often hear is that impervious surfaces, pavements, um, are believed to hinder tree growth. Um, and this might be reflected in, in images like this, the, uh, in, in the canopy cover of a city. This, I believe, is Syracuse, New York. Um, it was just an image that I poached off, um, I think it was the iTree website, actually. Uh, could be wrong about that. But anyhow, the point being that in the dense urban, um, uh, central urban areas, where you have lots of impervious uh, surface coverage, you actually have quite low canopy cover. Um, so that, let's use this pointer here, sort of in here. Very low canopy cover. Um, as represented by, you know, very little green in the very dense, impervious area. As you move out from the, uh, from the center towards the boundaries, where uh, uh, you have less and less impervious uh, surface cover, you increase um, uh, your tree cover. So there's always been this sort of perception that impervious uh, uh, surface coverage um, negatively impacts tree growth uh, and, and function. So now that I've sort of, you know, dealt a little bit with impervious uh, surface cover, we'll, um, we'll, we'll look specifically at pavements. Um, the reality is pavement's pervasive. It's everywhere. It's absolutely all around us in our cities. Um, and there's very good reason for that. Uh, it's, it's durable. Uh, it stands up well to um, uh, all of the vehicle and pedestrian traffic we, uh, we put it to. Um, Sort of if you go back 100 years, I know this is an American example, but if you go back 100 years, 93% of roads in the U.S. were unpaved. Um, then I suppose as automobiles came into play, uh, people began driving around. Uh, they needed to, to have a more durable, more rugged surface that could handle that type of thing. Um, I sort of did a bit of a tourist thing the other day, went down to the rocks here in Sydney. Has anybody been down there? Any of the tourists been down there? Um, I don't know whether you happen to see it, but there was a plaque on one of the walls that was describing how, uh, I can't remember, it was maybe 150 odd years ago, they actually paved, quote unquote, paved the surface of the roads with hardwood timbers. Um, and so that roads were actually made of hardwood timbers. And that was, again, just to provide a bit of durability. Um, that's sort of an older example. Nowadays they use, you know, concrete or asphaltic paving. Um, and, and basically pavement is everywhere. In, it, it's said that in sort of dense urban cores, pavements will actually comprise more than 50% of the surface area uh, uh, of yeah, these dense urban cores. Right, so we've talked about impervious surface coverage, we've talked about porous, uh, or sorry, uh, um, regular sort of standard pavements. Um, and now here's this idea of porous pavement. This has been around you know, not a huge amount of time. Um, I think that the first installation of a porous pavement was in the UK in sort of the early 1960s. Um, in the UK, they often use these, these sort of porous pavements as a, just a surface, as a wearing course, um, an anti-slip surface, a friction surface on their roads. Um, and uh, uh, so I guess that was, you know, the early installation, so that's roughly 50 years ago. In the US, they began using it more uh, sort of for stormwater purposes. Um, I guess just to give a bit of a, a, an indication as to what porous pavement is or what it is I'm talking about, um, it goes by many different names. I've just listed a few there. Uh, it's typically this monolithic construction, so, so um, uh, bound aggregate. It's called porous paving, pervious paving, uh, no fines paving, open graded, gap graded. Everybody's got sort of a different name for it. 
Um, but I, I do want to draw a distinction here. It's not, so this is what porous paving is. It's not this. This is permeable paving. It's, uh, it's an important distinction for reasons I won't really get into today, but it has to do with the, uh, the hydrological cycle. Um, these are blocks and turf stone, and yes, they are porous, and yes, they're permeable to water and, uh, and air, but it's important to realize that that is very different from that. Um, and uh, these, this sort of porous paving is what I'll be talking about today. So we've seen, well, we've likely seen this stuff everywhere. I imagine most people who have walked around um, uh, their cities have seen uh, installations of porous paving here, there, and everywhere. Um, as I say, the, the, the main reasons for installation, in the US at least, had been improved stormwater management. That came about with the, uh, the Clean Water Act um, when the EPA introduced that. Um, in the UK, it's typically been for safety as anti-slip surfaces. Um, I'm not sure what sort of, uh, it's called in Australia, but I know that, uh, I think it's in New Zealand, it's either low impact urban design or water sensitive urban design. I think Australia's got a, um, a very comparable uh, sort of thing. And the idea is that you use porous paving in, in the place of impermeable paving. So the reason that we do this is because, uh, well, as I said, the main reasons are for stormwater purposes or safety, but porous pavements are also alleged to uh, provide great benefits to urban trees. Um, not really too sure whether they do, do they? Does, does anybody have experience with porous pavements? A few people, yeah. Um, I had this uh, when I sort of first got interested in the topic about 10 years ago, I was working for a landscape architect, and he absolutely hated the stuff. He liked it because it made him a bit more money um, than the standard impervious pavement, but he didn't actually believe in it at all. He didn't believe it actually did anything. Um, and I think that there's this uh, sort of this feeling uh, of, of doubt when you talk about porous paving, and I certainly had that feeling when I went in as well uh, to study this topic. I was like, I'm not, just not sure that it will actually do um, what it's meant to do. But let's have a look at what the experts think. So I've just pulled a few quotes from some texts uh, about uh, porous paving. Um, Bruce Ferguson is a professor of landscape architecture at the University of Georgia, believes that porous pavements are ideal for protecting trees in a paved environment. Uh, Paul Tennis, he wrote a, uh, a, a great text uh, on, on porous pavements. He's a civil engineer for the uh, Portland Cement Association believes that porous pavements increase longevity of trees by improving moisture and oxygen relations. Uh, Professor Vern Schaefer, civil engineer at the University of Iowa, uh, believe that porous pavements are excellent for preserving na native ecosystems. Um, and maybe these guys are right, but does anybody notice something interesting about the comments these guys are making? Yeah, not a single tree person in sight. So uh, I'll let a civil engineer design me a bridge or a road any day. I'll let a landscape architect, I don't know, design my garden, but I don't really want them telling me whether, uh, whether a particular product is going to uh, benefit or enhance tree growth. I don't think that they're uh, sort of in a qualified position. Um, and the reality is they were just, uh, it was just sort of uh, writing out loud, I suppose. They were just talking what they thought. They didn't try to back it up with any proof or anything like that. So that was actually the, uh, the motivation for my research. And there it is, that's, uh, that's what the experiment looked like. So um, what I wanted to know, what I wanted to ask was, uh, if you take different types of pavement profile designs, and if you take both porous and impervious pavement, and you, uh, you, you plant trees into those environments, how are those trees gonna respond to different types of uh, uh, pavement porosity and different types of profile or section designs? 
So what I'll do um, now is just sort of walk you through what you know is beneath each one of those, uh, those pavements so you sort of understand uh, what each of those trees is being treated with. Right, so the first thing is pavement type. Um, actually, maybe the first thing is just describing sort of the size of this experiment. So there's 50 trees. Um, they're oriental plains, Platanus orientalis. Um, the, the cuttings were um, sort of on average, uh, maybe 60 centimeters tall at planting. Um, each one of those uh, pavement blocks is 2.3 meters by 2.3 meters. There's a circular cutout in the middle so that we could plant the trees into them. Um, and now, so you've got this, this pavement type question. So the, the darker ones are your porous pavement and the lighter ones are your standard impervious pavement. Um, the color difference is just uh, to do with the sand that's incorporated in the impervious pavement. Um, sand uh, is silica and silica reflects light, so it's, it's, it's a lighter color. Um, so uh, that's your pavement uh, type. Uh, each one of those trees would be either surrounded by, uh, I guess, one or the other. That was uh, sort of factorially combined with two different uh, pavement profile designs. So a structural design where the subsoil uh, uh, or the subgrade was compacted, um, uh, an aggregate layer, a stone gravel layer was placed um, uh, above the compacted subgrade, and above that was the, the pavement surface course, the wearing course. So you had 20 centimeters of, uh, uh, of stone above which sat the 10 centimeter uh, uh, deep sort of uh, pavement layer. In contrast to that, you had your non-structural layers or your non-structural design, which was literally just uh, consolidating the soil, not compacting it at all, just consolidating it with a, a, with a, with a roller and, um, and laying the, the, the pavement directly on top of that. Um, it's been brought to my attention that uh, that's not a particularly accurate depiction of how pavements are laid uh, in urban areas, and I concede the point. Um, I, I, I agree that's not, that's not a typical thing, uh, that's not typically how pavements are designed in urban areas, but it was really important for me to be able to say um, uh, in the experiment that the addition of just pavement, just the pavement, in the absence of any other sort of treatment, whether it's compaction or other things like that, that's what the, the, the pavement does to trees. So it was important to, to be able to look at sort of this non-structural versus structural uh, approach at designing the pavement profiles. So in the end, um, as I say, that's what the experiment looked like. Um, there are five different, oh, four treatments and a control. The, uh, the control was just uh, with no pavement. You can see a few of them in there. Um, there's 10 replicates of each, um, and basically we measured a whole bunch of different things, height, diameter, which I'll get to in a second, and just averaged it across um, those five replicates, uh, or sorry, 10 replicates of each. Um, you'll notice up in the top right-hand corner, there's a couple of uh, boxes up there. Those are um, uh, uh, sort of weather stations in which I'm, uh, or sorry, all weather stations, not weather stations, um, to which are, are, are connected uh, 75 soil moisture meters so that I could monitor soil moisture beneath each one of these um, uh, uh, pavement blocks. Um, so anyhow, that's, that's sort of what the experiment looks like in its entirety. Um, the data that I collected, uh, so I guess those trees were left in the ground for two full growing seasons. Um, and and uh, following that, I measured uh, total height growth, uh, total diameter growth, uh, shoot and root biomass, um, root diameter, uh, root distribution, 
uh, and then of course some soil factors as well, because it was important for me to understand uh, not just whether uh, those porous and impervious pavements affected tree growth, but why. And to explain the why, you need to obviously understand what the porous and impervious pavements do to uh, the underlying soil. Um, so yeah, as I said, that's the experiment at the top. The bottom just shows um, uh, I'd extracted um, sort of whole root systems. Uh, is anybody familiar with how I might have been able to extract whole root systems? Air spade, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I didn't do it myself. I, uh, my sister came to visit me. Uh, <laughs> this is going to make me sound absolutely terrible, and it is, frankly, it is. It's terrible. Sister got off the plane. How many of you guys are from uh, uh, America or Canada? How long was the average flight? 15, 17 hours, something like that? Yeah, so she got off the plane after 15 to 17 hours of travel, or that's just in-flight time. I guess total travel time is more like 35 when you take connections into into account, she got off the plane, I fed her the uh, mandatory meal of fish and chips, and then we headed out to the site and I put her on the airspeed. Um, <laughs> she, was, she, was, she was exhausted, but a pretty good sport about it. <laughs> yeah. Just wait, yeah, I think I heard that from somewhere. Sisters are known for getting revenge. She's marrying my best friend, that's revenge enough. Right, so. Um, I guess the question that I wanted to know and that everybody wants to know is did the four pavement treatments actually affect um, uh, tree growth? Did they affect above and below ground tree growth? So that's what we'll look at at the moment. See whether that shows up all right. It's a little light. Hopefully everybody can see that. I'll just sort of walk you through it. Um, what we see here at the top is height growth. Uh, so you've got, uh, you don't see the, uh, the units there. Those are in centimeters, so total centimeters of height growth. Uh, as you can see, sort of what, that's up to two and a half meters, basically, of height growth in two growing seasons. Uh, so that's your height growth. Um, your control, so that was no pavement at all, grew about 175 centimeters in two years. Uh, these two here, porous and impervious, those are without the stone base beneath it, okay? So porous without the stone base, grew 250 centimeters, roughly. Impervious without the stone base, 200. Uh, when you incorporate that stone base and the, the, the compacted subgrade, uh, you have, again, roughly, t you know, whatever that is, 175 or so uh, centimeters of growth uh, over the two growing seasons. Um, you look at diameter growth, uh, and you see the same pattern repeated. So diameter growth, uh, again, for this porous treatment here. So porous pavements without the compacted subgrade, no stone underneath it, no aggregate underneath it much greater diameter than either the control or the other three pavement types. You come down to biomass, total above ground biomass. Um, so yeah, just sort of cut off the, uh, the, the trees at ground level, um, dried them in a kiln until they were sort of a steady weight and uh, weighed them. So that's total above ground biomass, including, uh, including leaves. Um, so you had about four kilos for um, uh, porous without um, excluding the base and subgrade. Uh, which again is much greater uh, than either uh, the control or the three other um, pavement treatments. So I suppose something to note here is that above ground growth for trees in uh, this particular treatment here where you have the porous pavement without the, uh, without the, the, uh, the, the compacted um, uh, subgrade and gravel base, 
was enormous compared to the rest of them. They were just much larger trees after two years um, uh, compared to uh, the analogous ones in the impervious uh, pavement treatments. But it's interesting to note that um, porous pavement didn't make a lick of difference when you, in, uh, when you included uh, this gravel base and, the, and in particular the compacted uh, subgrade. So as soon as you incorporated those design elements, it didn't matter that you had porous pavement on top at all. It made no difference. So that's, uh, that's what, what happened above ground. So why was above ground growth consistently um, uh, greater with porous pavement, at least uh, in certain situations? Well, we can trace it to uh, root growth as well. So we can look at root biomass. And I mean, these graphs are pretty much all interchangeable. It's the same pattern repeated over and over and over. And you really get the impression that both above ground and below ground, you just had much larger uh, uh, above ground features uh, and roots in this particular porous treatment here. So porous pavement without or excluding the basin subgrade. So uh, again, huge biomass, uh, lots, of, lo lots of roots, um, large above ground portion as well. Um, and I suppose uh, this is one of those questions. So, you know, even though it was an interesting sort of uh, result, you, have, you ask yourself, is it a good result? You have to sort of um, uh, qualify it. And, and increased root growth isn't always desirable, um, certainly if it's shallow root growth. Uh, we know that shallow roots and pavements do not mix. Um, and there have been a variety of articles over the last decade, maybe even 15 years, uh, assigning blame to either the roots or the pavements, and I'm not here to assign blame, just simply to point out that, that large, fast-growing roots directly beneath the pavement uh, might not always be a desirable outcome. Um, so, um, another important question to answer with, with this research was, um, even though we knew that roots grew uh, faster and larger beneath porous pavement, um, how did porous and impervious pavements affect uh, root distribution and depth? So, um, basically what I did was I measured um, uh, the total amount or the total proportion of the roots uh, for any given tree that could be found within each soil depth. So, point being, this is the control, so this is in the absence of any sort of pavement treatment. I'll just sort of go over it for you. So, if you look at this point, in the upper five centimeters of soil, if you just sort of go across, you have roughly, let's call that 10%. 10% of the total roots were found in the upper five centimeters of soil. In the, to in the top 10 centimeters of soil, yeah, no, call it 25, 30% of roots were found in the top 10 centimeters of soil. Sort of get my drift there? Does everybody understand how that works? Okay, so in the upper 15 centimeters of soil in a control plot, uh, so in the, absence of, uh, in the absence of any sort of pavement, you have maybe 55, 57% of the total uh, uh, number of roots were found in that upper 15 centimeters of soil. All right, so now what we're gonna do is look at a um, situation where we add pavement. So right here, you've got your porous and impervious pavement, and this is without, um, without uh, the uh, soil compaction and the, the stone base layer. So what happens here, as soon as you add um, uh, a pavement, you notice that basically roots shift upwards. They just get much more shallow. Um, they, they grow much more shallow. You add the, the, the stone base and the compaction, 
and they get shallower again, although not significantly differently. But what I want to draw to your attention is what I said before. In control plots, you had something like 55, 57% of, uh, of a root system in the upper 15 centimeters of soil. As soon as you add pavement, you've got nearly, you know, on, on average, maybe 80% or so of the total root system is found within that upper 15 centimeters of soil. So, so pavements, um, like it or not, uh, provide this environment which is just ideal for root growth. It's just perfect for root growth, and these roots are just growing directly beneath the pavement. So uh, even though I said I wouldn't chime in on who's at fault, the roots or the pavement, I think that the pavement uh, basically does, uh, in fact, um, promote uh, a very shallow root growth. So just a summary of, um, uh, of what I measured uh, tree growth-wise. Um, porous pavement yielded greater stem height, uh, greater uh, stem diameter, um, greater shoot and root biomass, but it's important to qualify that and understand that that was only true uh, when the pavement profile design or your section design excluded those structural elements. So uh, only in the absence of, uh, of a compacted subgrade and the, uh, the gravel base were those uh, statements true. And then another important point to realize is that basically all pavements, regardless of uh, what, what type they were, resulted in, uh, in, in extra shallow root growth. So the next question to answer was, you know, knowing that, knowing that, that pavements uh, or porous pavements did seem to promote uh, or allow for larger um, uh, tree growth, what is it about porous pavements? What, like, what is it that they do differently that allows trees to grow larger? Um, we all being tree people probably understand that uh, trees requ require some, um, some, some basic elements in, in addition to, uh, to uh, sunlight um, for growth. So you need water, you need soil, uh, oxygen for root respiration, uh, you, need, uh, you need your soil chemistry to be, or your soil reaction to be within a certain uh, pH range. Um, and all of these things contribute to sort of normal tree growth and function or normal function and growth. So that's what I sort of set out to measure. I wanted to see uh, how porous and impervious pavements affected um, uh, these three parameters and whether uh, I could then point to any of those and say, okay, well, it's obvious that porous pavements, say, affected soil moisture, so uh, that's the characteristic that we know is actually causing the improved growth. So um, there's sort of the, the major finding of, um, of my research. I'll just let you all sort of breathe it in for a second. That's a $10,000 graph or so, and my funding agencies would love for you to just look at it and ooh and ah. Um, I promise, yeah, thank you, thank you for that. Thank you for that inspiring ooh in and ahing. Um, I'll, uh, I'll go through it, uh, of course, uh, and, and explain to you why this is such an important graph. Um, but basically what it, what it will describe, and I hope to be able to convince you of, is that um, porous pavements uh, do change the hydrological cycle um, uh, for the underlying soils, and that is one of the one of the factors that allows for improved tree growth. Um, so, just so that we're all on the same page before I go on explaining this graph, uh, the blue bars at the bottom, whoops, the blue bars at the bottom, there, all those those represent precipitation, uh, weekly precipitation, which is shown. There's the axis for that. So basically, in any given week, the, 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 the highest weekly precipitation was roughly 60 mil. Um, is that about right? Um, how does that compare to last week here? A bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So um, uh, I didn't put months down at the bottom, but I, I, I should have, I suppose. This is, this is winter and spring in here. This is uh, summer. And this is sort of late summer, early autumn type of thing. Uh, so this is for the whole second growing season. Um, I've got first growing season data, which I already published, but I just wanted to focus on this one for now. Um, so that's precipitation. Um, you've got your volumetric water content on the left-hand side. And you've got uh, each one of those series, each one of those lines represents one of the five different or four different treatments or the control. So the dark line, solid line, that's your control plot. So that's with no pavement on it whatsoever. Uh, the two um, red lines, so that one there and that one there, represent uh, your two pavement treatments, uh, impervious and impervious, uh, that didn't have the stone layer beneath it, didn't have the soil compaction. The two green lines, really apologize for these colors, hoping they would come through a bit clearer, but those two green lines represent both impervious and porous concrete with the gravel base and the soil compaction. And the way to differentiate between the two of them is just the, uh, the long and the short dashes. So long dash represents porous, short dash represents impervious. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to remind you of that as we go. Um, is anybody uh, uh, familiar with the term um, sort of field capacity, permanent wilting point, uh, saturation point, things like that? They're all characteristics or, or, or terms that describe um, uh, uh, soil moisture with respect to a plant's uh, uh, ability to, to, um, to absorb uh, water. And, um, I didn't put it in here, but basically the permanent wilting point was down here somewhere. Uh, once soil moisture gets down to that permanent wilting point, you start getting into a situation where drought uh, can significantly affect um, plant growth. Um, so uh, it, it's good to see that basically at no point uh, is it likely that, that drought significantly affected any of these, um, any of these uh, treatments. Um, uh, but that's also an average over the, the sort of upper uh, 30 centimeters of, uh, of soil. So um, we'll go into a bit more detail. But anyhow, so as I said uh, prior to this long ramble, um, this graph uh, really illustrates three particular aspects which I think um, separate uh, porous from impervious pavement. All right, the first one is infiltration. We're going to look at this, this, this sort of end section uh, uh, sort of in close up. So porous pavement allows for rapid infiltration of rainfall. I think you can see that um, if you look at sort of, you know, jumps in rainfall there, you see, uh, you know, similar jumps in uh, soil moisture in the soil. Um, see, you know, peaks there again after this rainfall event. You see that peak after this rainfall event. Um, large jumps over here after this rainfall event. And um, that pattern of, of responding to uh, rainfall events is captured a heck of a lot more uh, by porous rather than impervious pavements. So what I'll show you here, this is, uh, this is the final three weeks of my measurement period, which corresponded to late summer. Um, so this is the control plots. Again, there's no pavement here at all. So it was late summer. Um, soil moisture was relatively low. It was about as low as it had been throughout the entire experiment period. So soil moisture uh, for the control plots was, as you can see, just under 20%, maybe 19%. Then you have this little, little bit of rain, not a heck of a lot, maybe, uh, what is that, total of 15 centimeters, sorry, 15 uh, millimeters over the course of three days. But control responds immediately, right? So when you don't have anything covering the soil, soil moisture responds immediately to those jumps in soil moisture. And then you get this period where it sort of uh, evaporation takes over and uh, drainage takes over and, and soil moisture decreases again. Then a bit more precipitation and boom, jumps up again. 
Um, and, and so you see this immediate response of control plots um, to, uh, to precipitation events. So now we'll add the porous pavement treatments. So this is both the porous pavements, the ones uh, with and without uh, the gravel uh, subbase. You can see the same pattern there, can't you? You basically see the rainfall event, and they jump up. They follow that rainfall event. So the rainfall happens, and they jump. So that's over three weeks, right? So you've got this situation where, um, where soil moisture had decreased to the point, maybe not where the plant was going to, um, uh, to, to, to go into serious trouble, but you've certainly got a, a situation where uh, soil moisture was low enough so that uh, photo, um, uh, physiological function wasn't optimal, I guess. So now let's look at what happens um, uh, when we add the impervious treatments. So there's the impervious treatments. You'll notice that there's virtually no response at all. Um, there's a slight upward trend, and that's because water does get there eventually. Water will seep into the soil eventually. It'll spill off the sides of those pavements, um, and it'll get under there eventually uh, by lateral movement. But, um, but basically, uh, there's no immediate recognition that a rainfall event has even happened. So you've got this three-week period where, you know, end of summer again, um, maybe these trees are sh thinking about shutting down for the year but uh, uh, due to maybe, you know, temperatures, but certainly due to uh, low moisture. Um, and in the control treatments and the porous pavement treatments, you've got these jumps which possibly extend the growing season for trees in those treatments by up to, you know, well, there's a three-week period whereas soil moisture in the impervious treatments remains very low. Um, so that's, that's, I guess, the first point that I wanted to draw your attention to. The second is evaporation. Um, basically, pavement prevents, uh, just like any mulch, anything that you put over the surface of a pavement is going to prevent, or sorry, anything that you put over the surface of a soil is going to prevent evaporation of soil moisture. So pavement behaves just like a mulch. Um, so let's look at that there. So you've, you, you, see the, uh, you see the spring and uh, the winter and spring rains, which bring soil moisture up to their highest point here in the control plots. Then summer sets in and soil moisture slowly declines, slowly declines. But up here, in the, these two pavements up here, there's no decline at all. It just sort of ambles on as if nothing has changed at all. So you can see that evaporation has been prevented by those two uh, pavements there. What about these two down here? Why didn't those prevent uh, evaporation as much? Um, well, I'll, I'll argue that they did, in fact, prevent evaporation. You can see that they still remain, for the most part, above the control plots, so they still did prevent certain evaporation. But the big difference here um, is that these two up here didn't have that stone layer. These two down here did have the stone layer. Does anybody know uh, why they use stone beneath pavements often? Yeah, it's a capillary break, so it prevents water from, from, from moving upwards. And that's a, that's a design technique um, by engineers because uh, typically the engineering um, attitude has been keep water out and it'll, be, uh, it'll remain stable. So this capillary break, this stone layer, um, basically what it does is it also prevents a, a, or, or a phenomenon called distillation. Um, so uh, if you're in a very damp room and you throw on a dehumidifier, uh, what, what will happen, I suppose, the dehumidifier uh, will cool. It's got cooling coils, and it draws moisture out of the air, right? Same way that refrigeration works. So uh, soil moisture, or sorry, uh, uh, water vapor, rather, is drawn towards very cool surfaces. Now, pavements, what happens with pavements 
is that they follow this uh, diurnal temperature cycle. So during the daytime, uh, they get very hot. Uh, in the evening, they cool down. Makes sense. What happens, though, is that they cool down faster than their surrounding soil environment. And because they cool down faster than their surrounding soil uh, environment, they attract all that water vapor, all that soil moisture uh, uh, water vapor. So in these two treatments up here, where you didn't have that capillary break, you've just got water being sucked back upwards, and it just sort of clings to the bottom of, that, um, to the, bottom of the pavement, only to be red uh, redistributed into the soil the following day um, as almost a, a fresh new source of water. So it's, it's, it's constantly recycling water. In here, though, these two pavement treatments, they had the capillary break. So the, 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 the distillation effect um, is non-existent. It, it doesn't sort of, uh, it, it's not affected by the same sort of temperature gradient. So those are the three things that really distinguish um, uh, porous from impervious pavement. So uh, uh, I guess I'll just summarize it here. But um, soil moisture is higher beneath paved uh, surfaces in general uh, due to buffering from evaporation. Soil moisture is higher without the gravel subbase, without that capillary break due to the distillation effect. And finally, soil moisture is higher beneath porous pavements uh, due to timely infiltration. Okay, another thing that we wanted to look at. Sorry, I realize that's a lot of information to take in, so I'll, um, uh, I'll try to be a bit more brief with this aeration talk, and I, I, I think I can be. So we measured soil aeration in these soils as well. Anytime you're talking about soil moisture, you have to look at the other side of things and talk about soil, uh, soil oxygen. Each soil pore can be uh, filled with either air or water, um, depending on soil pore size. Larger pores are typically filled with air. Smaller pores are typically filled with water. Um, roots require air um, uh, for respiration, just like we require air for respiration. Roots do the same thing. Um, so uh, one way to measure uh, soil oxygen is, is this steel rod technique, and it's, uh, it's about as cheap as it gets. You can do the whole um, sort of test for $10 or so. Um, and, and basically what you do, it's really effective. You just drive a steel rod into the ground, you leave it there for three months, a growing season, and when you pull it out, you, you look at the rust that's developed on that steel rod. So the idea being, if there's lots of rust on it, that means that the soil environment was well aerated, there's lots of oxygen in the soil, um, which is a good sign for root growth. It's a good sign for root respiration. If you pull that rod out of the ground and there's no uh, rust on it, that means the soil was anaerobic um, and is likely not a good environment for, uh, for root growth. So what I've done here is I've got um, the five different treatments, as you can see there, different soil depths, um, and basically the length of the black bar represents um, sort of the anaerobic state. So the longer the black bar, the more anaerobic the soil, the worse it is for root respiration. No surprise here. During the wet spring, so lots of moisture in the soil, very little, um, very little room for air in those soil pores. Uh, in that situation, there was no difference at all between any of the treatments. In the summertime, this is where we saw this pattern develop. In the summertime, uh, where it was slightly drier, or actually much drier in certain cases, um, there's your control. Uh, even up to, what does that say, 60 centimeters depth? Yeah, even up to 60 centimeters depth, um, it was full rusting of that steel rod that I put in. So even down to 60 centimeters depth in the soil, you had loads of oxygen, and it's likely that root respiration wasn't impeded whatsoever. There's your porous pavement there uh, without the gravel subbase. So again, quite a good soil environment. There's your impervious pavement without the gravel subbase, reasonable. 
there's your porous pavement with the gravel subbase and, uh, and the soil compaction, and there's your impervious uh, uh, with the gravel subbase um, and the compaction. So I suppose the pattern there shows that uh, it's no surprise really. The more you compact a soil, the smaller the soil pores are, the more they'll be filled with water, the less oxygen that'll be uh, in those soil pores. So that's what we see uh, happening in those bottom two. Uh, just the idea that the soil compaction uh, has created an environment um, which favors water in those pores rather than, um, uh, rather than air and creates this uh, anaerobic environment. Okay, and the third thing I wanted to show you um, was pH. And I think that this slide, I mean, this was, this was an afterthought. I didn't even think about doing this until it was recommended to me um, at one of the other cons, uh, conferences that I spoke at. And I, I'm, I'm, in the end, I'm really glad that I measured pH because it, it shows such a cool trend. Um, pavements, I, I used, uh, I used a, um, a cement-based concrete pavement. This is totally different than, you know, your asphalt pavements, but a cement-based concrete pavement, um, it's essentially like adding lime to the soil. You get water going through, which reacts with uh, carbon dioxide in the air, and um, you end up with calcium uh, ions, which get leached into the soil be uh, beneath it. So you look at the pH of that, um, uh, of that uh, control soil, so the native soil, you know, no treatment whatsoever, the pH is 5.75, which is uh, sort of slightly to moderately acidic. Um, uh, the range over which plants can, uh, can effectively take up nutrients from the soil is quite a wide range. Typically, I think they say it's on the, the scale of uh, five and a quarter, so 5.25 to uh, the high sixes is sort of optimal, and outside that range, um, there are, of course, specialist plants that can take up nutrients, but, but typically you end up with nutrient deficiencies outside that range. So in the control treatment, it's actually towards the lower bound of what's uh, considered sort of optimal for, uh, for, for nutrient uptake. Um, as soon as you add those different types of concretes, especially the two porous treatments, you can see them there and there, with all the water running through those porous pavements, it's leaching a heap of calcium ions uh, down into the soil. So that it raised the pH from 5.75, which is slightly to moderately acidic, up to, uh, in the highest extent, 6.58, which is, which is virtually neutral. Um, so uh, the, the porous pavement actually, uh, in this particular case, improved the chemical reaction of the soil such that uh, nutrient uptake was, was uh, um, more readily possible in those soils. So I know this is, a, this is an isolated situation. The soil that I was dealing with was, uh, was already slightly acidic. Um, I understand that in many urban areas, the soil is already sort of neutral to alkaline. So maybe you don't want this type of thing to happen. Maybe, maybe uh, adding calcium ions or having calcium ions leach into the soil is actually a bad thing. But I just wanted to show you what happened in my experiment. And it helps to explain, again, maybe why uh, trees and porous pavements were able to, uh, to increase in size quicker than in impervious pavements. So uh, back to the, the main question, why are trees growing larger? Um, well, I argue, that, I argue that, that porous pavements improve tree growth by uh, allowing for infiltration of rain at key times, in particular towards the end of summer, um, when growth was likely uh, limited due to low water conditions, uh, by allowing for higher soil aeration, again, in particular during the summertime, and by increasing the soil pH um, uh, from slightly acidic, where you're likely going to have some heavy metal um, uh, uh, toxicity issues, the iron and aluminum and magnesium, um, to a more neutral 
uh, which is sort of more beneficial for optimal nutrient uptake. Um, now, I imagine many of you caught this, but yeah, tree growth only occurred, uh, that improved tree growth anyhow, uh, only occurred beneath porous pavements in the absence of that structural profile design. So, so that's a really interesting, I mean, why, why, why would that happen? Why wouldn't porous pavements affect um, uh, uh, tree growth uh, equally across all different porous pavement designs? Um, and I contend that it's basically due to soil compaction. Um, in those uh, plots where I incorporated the gravel base and the soil compaction, uh, soil strength was roughly three times greater than in the other plots. Um, so I argue that basically compaction acted as a bottleneck, um, and it prevented roots from taking advantage of those, uh, those better growing conditions uh, that were presented by the porous pavement. In that vein, I think it's uh, uh, sort of one of the suggestions that I make is that um, I think that porous pavements certainly aren't a cure-all. They're not a magic bullet. They're, they shouldn't be used in every situation. Um, and, and certainly, uh, you need to ask yourself a, a number of different questions before you install them. But I think that they'd be really well used in cases where you're, you're um, uh, deliberately trying to prevent soil compaction, uh, such as when using um, structural or engineered soils, or if you're using uh, suspended pavements or silva cells, those types of things. I think that's where uh, porous pavements will allow um, for improved uh, tree growth without the bottleneck of soil compaction. So uh, just a final slide, some take-home messages. I guess um, if porous pavements to be installed to improve um, uh, tree growth conditions, so if that's the reason you're installing it, and for the most part it's not. You know, porous pavement for the most part is installed to improve stormwater management. It's installed for, for safety reasons. But on occasion, we install it around our trees to improve tree growth. It's important to remember, as I say, it's not a, it's not a cure-all, it's not a magic bullet. Um, it's not going to automatically um, improve tree growth. Uh, it's really important to recognize that, um, that what, what's beneath the pavement is actually what the roots are growing in, and that's the important part. So you, you'll need to care for that soil, you'll need to ensure that the soil is not compacted uh, if those poor pavements are intended to improve tree growth. Um, yeah, so take care of the soil, and the soil will care, will care for the tree. That's, uh, that's all I've got. Just acknowledge um, my funding agencies, including the Tree Fund, uh, Auckland City Council, and the University of Canterbury. And this concludes Justin Morganroth's discussion on the impacts of porous pavement on soil environment and street tree growth. If you would like to learn more about trees and urban soils, you can find additional materials at the ISA web store and online learning center. If you would like to receive CEUs for today's talk, the code for this quiz is SA5655. Again, SA5655. If you have other topics that you would like us to provide podcasts for, please feel free to contact Luana Vargas at the ISA office in Champaign, Illinois, or me, Tom Smiley, at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory. Thank you for listening to this podcast series, which was brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country Trees, you know we can 
work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. 